0: Oh, no. It's the American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Emmett McConnell, and I'm joined this week by Brian Rice. Brian, how are you doing today?
1: I'm all right. How are you, Emmett?
0: I'm doing well. So Brian, as many of you probably know, played soccer with me at Wesleyan University, and we'll say he's a fairly avid Red Bulls fan. Is that correct, Brian?
1: I think fairly avid, fairly avid is, uh, is reasonable.
0: Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, for having I me. I do want to mention that I think this is the first time in my entire life that I've called you Brian.
1: That's probably right. Uh, I don't think I don't think any of you guys call me Brian more than a handful of times over the course of four years.
0: You know, with the last name Rice, it's a little bit—it's one syllable. You can work with that. Brian, I don't know how you work with that. I can. It's a bit I tougher. I can make it work. <laughs> well, we'll make it work for today. We have a couple things to talk about before we get into our. <laughs> Uh, week five headlines. First, Minnesota United about to open brand new Allianz Field this weekend. What are your thoughts on the stadium so far?
1: I would say it is beautiful as the new stadiums continue to be. I'm pleased that it seems if not fully covered, at least mostly covered and a totally enclosed bowl as frankly soccer stadium should be going forward. Uh, I don't know. There's there's nothing nothing but positive thoughts and it's If and when I ever get to do a stadium tour around MLS, it's going to be one of the first I go to.
0: It seems to me to be very similar in the vein of the LAFC Orlando, which I've had the pleasure of being able to see. And I gotta say of the recent stadiums, I don't think we've seen a bad one. I mean, what's the worst stadium in recent memory? Yankee Stadium's probably the worst. Yeah, well,
1: that that I mean, in fairness to them, and this is the only time we'll ever be fair to them, um, it's not their stadium, even though it is. They do play on a total pile of nonsense um, of but, but I mean yeah I think that's the worst Audi field has a certain charm to it I think just how enclosed it is it's weird looking in terms of the proportions don't make sense but it's the the rake of the stands is so high that you kind of have to love it
0: I mean I've been uh, pretty intrigued by this new stadium I mean the first you know images we saw from the outside it looked pretty Pretty cool with the blue lights and the the weird curved top stuff. I don't know what—not architects. I don't I don't know these words. But uh, speaking of a stadium that you know, I've been to, but not a huge fan of, it was late that the Chicago Fire were going to be rebranding to Chicago City SC and leaving the newly st- named Steak Geek Arena or Seat Geek Stadium for Soldier Field. What do you th- what What do you take about this uh, this pretty major news? for one of the, not the original, but a pretty old MLS franchise?
1: I think, for the most part, it's trash. I mean... All of it. I'll be a bit more nuanced in a second, but please, Lord, we don't need another... like, XX City Football Club or City Soccer Club. Like, Chicago Fire is incredibly memorable, incredibly memorable for the city... It makes a lot of sense. It's unique and interesting. Keep it like that. I'm not a huge fan of the idea of going back to football stadiums. I think it works. Grant- Seattle is a bit different, but for the most part, you look at teams like the Revs and it's mostly a disaster. I understand getting out of Bridgeview, even though I've never been to Chicago, it makes sense to get out from a place where no one wants to go. You can speak more to that. But, you know, hopefully it works. It's a big city hopefully they can get a soccer specific stadium at some point that's closer to downtown. But for the most part, this seems like kind of desperate ownership moves that smacks the fan base in the face in a way that's been awfully similar to how they've dealt with their supporters groups in the past few years. um, And just another kind of black mark on the organization.
0: I see. I'm all for everything except for the name. I'm with you. The, Chicago, you know, city, city is literally what it is. It's This is our city called City. New York City, Orlando City, Chicago City. Like, we get that it's a city. Okay, this is... I think it's more interesting when you get a, a team called Luton Town, because they're at least willing to say, oh, we're not a city, we're a town. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of cool ideas turn around. The problem with the Chicago Fire, from what I understand, is that if you Google it and you haven't already Googled it 15 times, you're going to get the, the show Chicago fire as like the first few hits. So they were kind of far down on that and they wanted to, you know, bring themselves up. Maybe this is a chance to rebrand, but there are better names they could have done. Right. Yeah. If they were really like, we, we don't want to do Chicago fire because of this specific reason, like, okay, make it, uh, the, you know, windy city FC was one that I think a lot of people liked, uh, former, uh, host of the show. Eric was saying, uh, to name it Chicago Mafia. Now, I think that's a terrible name.
1: Yeah, that, that, would, uh, that would not have worked, but...
0: I'm glad you're on board, but there's a lot of... Th- Another one that I thought was name it after a neighborhood. Uh, you know, Chicago's got all these distinct neighborhoods. It's kind of part of their thing. Name it, like, Lincoln City. Name it Oak Park FC. Uh, th- there's things you can do. I wish, although,
1: are- you know, there's a reason that the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars were New York, New Jersey, and then ultimately the New York Red Bulls, despite playing, you know on the south side of, like, below the Hudson, it's because you need the big city branding. So as much as it's cool, and I would like that, and I wish more teams had the courage to kind of brand closer to their neighborhoods, I don't think you'll ever... The league and the organization would never say yes to getting rid of the big city branding.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think that's something that comes when there's more teams in the area, and you want to kind of... uh, separate yourself. I think if you were uh, a new New York team, you might, you know, go with something like if you, you know, if, if New York City went with the Bronx City, I think that would be a 100% more memorable than NYCFC.
1: I agree. You um,
0: on the other side, the crest changing, uh, you can go online and look that up. Obviously, this is a, an audio format. We can't show it to you, but... I was a big fan of their previous crest. It was pretty unique. It had like the kind of fire uh, fire uh, department logo type thing going for it. And the new one's just kind of a circle with a C in it. Yeah,
1: a I, I, was a, I was a big fan of the old logo. And frankly, the new logo is just the, C- the Cubs logo, except instead of the Cubs logo where there's the big C and then a small UBS, it's a big C and then a star, star, stars if you're saying you know something untoward. It's just not great. It's bad. They should not do this. Anyone who has the Chicago Fires Twitter account should tweet things at them about how it's dumb. That's my opinion.
0: Sounds like a good way to keep a job. But, uh. <laughs> um, so, so as someone who's been to games, I can tell you that if you're not driving there, it's an absolute pain to get to. Yeah, I can tell you that I would take me less time to get to a Red Bull game from Philadelphia... Than it did for all of my games from downtown Chicago or North Side Chicago to Bridgeview. There was one time from downtown it took over two hours, two hours and eleven minutes. I timed it. Uh,
1: yeah, that would that would be that would be about Red Bull Arena to you, right? That's not.
0: That would be no Red Bull's like hour 30 to an hour yeah, 45, Right
1: probably.
0: up 95, yeah, makes sense. Uh, There's traffic when I went, and so it took longer. Like, I got to the stadium in plenty of time. Right. But the traffic around the stadium was impossible to get in. Um, but Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and this is this is via public transit. I didn't have a car. I was in grad school. Yeah. Um, but my, ugh, it's, you, I had to take a train downtown. If you're already downtown, good. But downtown, then you take the orange line to Midway, and then you're going to catch a bus that comes every 30 minutes. To go to Bridgeview, that bus. If you if you catch it the wrong time, it's a thirty minute wait. You might get lucky, uh, but you also have to get a different bus card, which they don't. Re- no one really explains to you, and so you get to the bus and like, oh nope, you got to go back and get a bus card. And I did that. I said, oh can you wait for me? And they left. And I was like, oh I didn't know I had to get a bus card. Okay, I went back, got the new card, came back and the bus was gone. Yeah. So I had to wait another thirty minutes for it to come. It's personally it was just it was really annoying to get to it's when it doesn't even feel like a suburb i mean like if like harrison new jersey at least you feel like okay this is a fairly urban area and the places around it bridgeview feels like you're in southern illinois
1: right yeah and this is the thing i think when we have discussion attendance uh attendance discussion issues um particularly with all these MLS 1.0 teams, it's not like what's going to fix your club is not becoming Chicago City SC with the most bland logo of all time. Like, the reason these new clubs work, obviously, they're new, that helps, but it's like, when your stadium is downtown, it doesn't take two hours to get to because they're probably near transit lines. And that it makes it... Humongous difference, and so I guess it's a good thing for them if they're eventually moving back into the city and hopefully into a soccer-specific stadium near transit. But like, that's the difference, right? Like, Red Bull Arena, frankly, is off the the like right off the PATH train. But like, the PATH train is like kind of tangentially connected to New York City transit. Those trains run every twenty minutes. If there's not something else. That's a disaster with the, you know, New York, New Jersey, like transit system. And, and that's a huge reason why people don't go is because they're just a huge hassle to get to. And, and to me, that's the biggest issue. And I don't know why organizations don't, don't understand that changing your name is not going to fix your attendance issues.
0: Well, let's look at some of the teams that are relatively new that uh, have done pretty well tenants wise LAFC first and foremost, Twenty-two thousand capacity. It's always full. It's also next to like the only train line in LA, and is downtown adjacent. Right. Uh, so it's. I mean, like I. For me, it was even easy to get to. And LA is massive. Like you, you take a bus to the train, and then you take the train there, and it's fifteen minutes. And people say the LA sy- you know, transit system is bad, but it's downtown. Orlando Stadium is downtown. New York City, it's, it's at least you could say it's in the Bronx. It's in the city. Atlanta United, it's right downtown. Uh, I mean, Minnesota United, even with this new stadium, and even the old one, these were in St. Paul, in Minneapolis, Uh, and those are all—they're all top eight in attendance. Right, and potentially would be higher if they had a bigger capacity stadium. If you're looking at like LaFC or Orlando. No, that's so. I'm that's right.
1: You're right. I'm okay with
0: it being downtown. Right. Uh, I think what they what. Chicago looks at is they see Atlanta, averaged fifty three thousand a game last year. Seattle forty thousand a game. Both football stadiums. What I think they fail to look at is New England Revolution. They had a respectable eighteen actually. Yeah. Last. In year. fairness,
1: the Revs are the made a good year last. The year. Revs are the worst of all the scenarios where they're in a football stadium that's like crappy turf and actually isn't anywhere near downtown. Right. At least. At least Atlanta, Seattle, and frankly Soldier. I mean. I think, right? Soldier Field is at least closer into the city of Chicago. Oh, yeah, it's downtown. Right. Being out. Awesome situation. Being out in Foxborough is like friggin' Neverland. So it's.
0: But so here's the thing, right? Philadelphia isn't downtown either. Uh, For for some of these places, neither is Dallas or or Colorado. But the way I think about it is if you're going to put your stadium out in, you know, cheap land area. You have to have the right type of city. For example, Philadelphia, a lot of suburbs. It's, this is yeah. small-ish. It's a small, you know, downtown area. Downtown area is pretty big, but the city limits are fairly small compared to a lot of places. Right. Um. What other one was it? New England? Boston, very tiny. A lot of surrounding suburbs and neighborhoods. So a lot of people have cars and okay. live there. It's easier. Sometimes it's easier for them to get to the suburban state um, stadium than it is to get to downtown. So for that, it kind of makes sense. I do think that those teams do, would do better if they had a downtown stadium. But Chicago had fourteen thousand people on average of that game. Only the crew were worse, and they were yeah. being actively sabotaged. Yeah. So we've gone on a lot about that. We'll move past it. This is a, obviously a very big topic. Very um, split decisions on you know what people think about that. It's it's big news. Uh, other news, last one before we get into the headlines. Fernando Addy of FC Cincinnati was arrested for drunk driving. He was doing a 102 and a 65. What do you think Cincy should be doing about this?
1: You know, I'll be honest. I can't say I've, I'm up to the minute on it, but I know there is, right? There's He goes into a program and can't play again until he's completed the program, and to me that seems right. I, If you're the organization, I think, I don't know. Finding doesn't make sense, but like you certainly have to, I think, have additional discipline um, and just kind of understanding from a top player like that that it's just not the way to conduct themselves. Um, and you know, just in general for you kids at home, don't don't drink and drive. Certainly, don't go forty miles per hour above the speed limit while you're uh, blowing a, you know, at all. But while you're blowing a point one two four, that's a bad idea. <laughs> um,
0: but, it's stupid. Yeah, this just it's, it's, it's very really dumb. stupid and inconsiderate behavior. Uh it gets me riled up when I say it like how dumb do you have to be to make an over a million dollars and decide, "Now I need to drive myself home after having a bunch of drinks." It's
1: very dumb. I was actually in I was in Cincinnati once for uh uh Red Bulls FC Cincinnati uh Open Cup game, which frankly is one of the best games I've ever been to. But I got a lift to and from, actually we walked from the our hotel to the game and that took like nine years because it's a hilly city and we didn't know that. But we got a lift back and it's really easy, especially if you're Fernando Adi of FC Cincinnati, I'm sure people will be happy to drive you to and from wherever you want to go. And just do that instead of getting behind the wheel of a car while you're drunk and putting yourself and other people in danger.
0: I bet his team would pay an in, would have their intern I know. go and drive you from place to it's, place. There's whenever I see like a professional athlete doing this, it's like man, like something's got to be off. You got to be upset about something. It's it almost seems like they're they're reaching out. Yeah, it's like they're lashing out for some reason.
1: It's not great. It's very stupid and don't drink and drive. If I can add a bit of levity to what is obviously a very important and serious topic i don't know if you follow pablo mauer uh on twitter his his handle is MLSist. he i think it's from him did a fairly funny photoshop of adi i don't know if you saw this i didn't (laughs) um it was adi's uh fifa ultimate team card oh i actually did see that yeah (laughs) So it has his pace and his shooting and his passing and his dribbling and then his blood alcohol content. So it's like so it's like forty three passing, seventy dribbling, twenty four defense, 0. 0.124 BAC. And we shouldn't make too much light of drunk driving and the seriousness of it, but we should at least make fun of someone who's willing to do it. So
0: it's 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 clever. Yeah. It's Congrats to Pablo Mauer. 102, because it looks like on his it's his ultimate FIFA ultimate team yeah, card. Yeah, exactly. It looks like it's saying because the pace is PA is shortened to PAC. It looks like it's showing that his pace is, really 10, is 102. It's over the ability. <laughs> so nice. Yes. Knife. I'm glad you were able to shed uh, put a little bit of levity on the gravity of the situation, and that will take us into the most serious thing we've talked about all day, which is the week five headlines. We're going to start on Friday. Toronto FC versus New York City FC. Welcome to the club, Alejandro Puzuelo. Toronto just ran riot on uh, New York City on Friday. He put up two goals, both chips, and an assist to put down a struggling New York City FC team that is now winless in eight straight road matches. The last one they won was last year in August in Toronto.
1: Yeah, I mean... To to start with Toronto, I mean, it's hard to look at the highlights from Pozuelo and think that Ali Curtis has done anything but another spectacular job. Granted, I think Pozuelo was a target before Curtis, but but still he's the real deal. Um that mm-hmm. the Pinenko was incredible, his assist to Josie was incredible. That chip goal is just like one of those things where the physics on that is like Basically impossible to be able to put it up and down like that and just make Sean Johnson look like a downright fool. Um,
0: and he's not even off his line, really. He's yeah, three no, or four it, yards was, off his line. it was
1: just filthy stuff. Just absolute, like, you know, it's close to, like, getting posterized as you can in soccer. It was just just absolutely cruel, cruel stuff. And, you know, that's what you want from when there are big signings in the league. You want them to come make a splash and up the level. And it seems like Pozuelo... We'll do exactly that. I'll admit I was a little bit skeptical, um, just because it's not like he's super well known, despite obviously being a high, you know, like high level talent. And you just never know what you get sometimes. These guys that come over, sometimes it takes a three to six month adjustment period. But Pusuello came in and he absolutely dunked all over NYCFC, and and that I'm, um, you know, I'm happy happy to see that happen. We'll see what Toronto. You're happy, because You're Red Bulls fan yes, as well. Though. absolutely. Um, a hundred percent, hundred percent, and we'll see what happens with Toronto going forward. I'll admit, I'm you know, let's see them put together a consistent run over more than just a few games after what happened last year. Uh, you know, we'll see if this is, if this team is back to where it was or not. But for now, you know, let's let's revel in what we see from guys like Pozuelo on the other end with NYCFC. They're not only winless in their in eight straight road matches, but I believe it's They've won four of their last 20, and as much as I want to see them continue to struggle, I think it's totally fair uh, for fans to clamor for uh, Domei Turin's ouster because I think he's been nothing if not terrible for that team. Uh, constantly tinkering, never a set lineup, never really, this team's never really under him had the discipline to see games out. Maybe the this new signing in Hebert, um, tam level guy will be their number nine that they need to to put some games away but you know they've looked totally feckless on a number of occasions now and
0: good word good word yeah i i see no <laughs> i see
1: no reason why they're gonna turn it around i mean that team's got plenty of
0: talented players on it but like that's what i was thinking i mean this is probably one of the more talented well-rounded new york city teams we've seen almost in their existence, I would think. I mean, they've they've had some good players, but it's kind of all been revolving around a few. I mean, at this point, they have, I would say, one of the stronger lineups in the league. They have a a great uh, midfielder, in Alexander Ring, uh, one of the best, you know, runners and winners of the ball in the league. They have a great defensive line, at least in the center back position. They have Matriza, who's proven he can be a very dangerous winger. It seems like Torrent has, like, just alienated a lot of guys
1: yeah I think that's right I I mean I. it's hard look when your coach continues continuously tinkers not just with the lineup choices but with formation choices it I think as a player becomes really really hard to ever get a grasp on what your role is and where your teammates are supposed to be I mean look I can remember back from our college days uh up at Wesleyan just you know even just going being kind of batted back and forth between playing left back and playing left mid and then playing left back and playing left mid it's like when you never really can get the reps day in and day out um, at a specific spot it's hard to come into a new spot each time and know exactly where to be and how to hit your marks and it's all the more difficult if that formation is different every time so you know I, I understand Domi Teran has, has been the right hand man to, to Pep Guardiola but you know being the assistant coach doesn't Always mean you're going to be a good head coach, and I think it's pretty clear that he's he's been terrible to this point, And I don't know how many more games he should be allowed to to show that he knows what he's
0: doing. I think he'll probably get at least you know what is it four games is not exactly a great uh, you know benchmark, not a good number to just say oh this is what it's going to look like for the rest of the season. But he does you know because it's his first full off season, but we did see him for half a year last year. He did struggle, whereas Chris Armis had success for the Red Bulls. So there's plenty of reason outside of these four games, but I do think he gets at least to May before he gets the boot if things continue this way. Uh, they do play host Montreal next week. Uh, that should be um, a favorable result, as Montreal will be missing apparently once again Ignacio Piotti. Uh, so that's, you know, I think if they don't pull out a win this time, You actually might see an early boot for Torrent because that would be pretty tough. Although, given what, yeah, yeah.
1: Although, again, on the flip side, if you're a city football group, like, what do you care? Like, you know, Domi Torrent is Pep's right hand guy. This is NYCFC is one of your, I don't know, however many teams around the globe they have now. It's not like there's super tight integration. It's like, who? What do they care if Domi Torrent has more opportunities to? You know, piss away good results. Like, there's not. I don't see from them aside from obviously the fact that they need a new stadium. I don't see the urgency from City Football Group at large to be like, we're gonna just oust the Pep Guardiola's right hand guy because he's lost a few games in MLS. Like, I'm just not convinced. I think they might hang on for a while with him, regardless of what the results are.
0: Uh, And it's also showing us how much how good maybe Patrick Vieira was for his time here. Maybe it wasn't as much that. Um, Torrent is, was really bad. Vieira, you know, inspired a lot of hope in his locker room. So, New York City, uh, among some of the teams that are, you know, seeing a lot of success in most of their career of that of that entire franchise, is now coming back to earth a little bit. Uh, Toronto, meanwhile, hosts the Chicago Fire. Uh, and t- Toronto in general has just been pretty much on fire. So, that's, you know, the fire generally pushovers. Um,. They're not the easiest of opponent, to be fair. You know, they have, they fight, they claw, but given Toronto's form this year, uh, they're in third place. Uh, you'd expect that to be a good result for them as well as New York City. Moving on to Saturday. In the early game, it was Chicago, who took all three points against the Red Bulls. I know you're going to have a lot for this one. It was a 1-0 uh, game. The Red Bulls dropped uh, a second straight. Uh, after losing at home to or- in Orlando. It was a Timmy Parker own goal. It was enough for the fire to see this one out. Nico Gaetan received a debut in f- with 15 minutes left. Uh, but the bigger news is the Red Bulls are struggling. 1-1-2 one, one and two so far this season. What is going wrong?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of places we can go with here. Um, you know, we can hammer it down into details. But I think the main problem is that Armas came in, and, you know, he was pretty clear even last year, that this team, even though they were going to be a pressing team and in his mind were going to continue to be a pressing team, was also going to try to possess the ball a lot more. And that means, I think, it's tough to be a team that does both, right? It's tough to get in your mind a team that's going to say, we're going to play energy drink soccer and go 110%, but also somehow we're going to slow down and possess the ball. And what you see under Armis at this point is a team that frankly, does neither now, right? He's had a full preseason, yep. he's installed his own, you know, his own ideas as opposed to last year where he could kind of coast and tinker off Marcia's stuff a little bit. And, and now what you see is a team that they don't press as high, they don't press as cohesively, and when they get the ball, they're not really stringing together passes. And that's why you see them, you know, against Chicago and in some ways against Orlando teams are able to kind of loft balls over them without any pressure high so those balls can be played pretty accurately and then going forward they're extremely one-dimensional because the red bulls themselves are playing long balls out of the back they're not winning balls high in transition and then attacking and so this is how you get kind of a perfect storm of a mess where the team has looked pretty feckless against frankly what is sub like Subpar MLS competition, and it's hard to be super enthusiastic about how things will go going forward. Um, you know, on the flip side, I think there are some pretty easy and obvious personnel moves to make. Uh, you know, between Mark Tchaikovsky and Sean Davis, who who both play in the kind of six slash eight spots for them for Red Bulls. You know, neither guy, and certainly together, they're just not covering enough ground. And so I think it's a perfect spot for Christian Casares Jr., who's the 19 or 20-year-old Venezuelan who's played a couple games in MLS, but mostly in Rebels 2. And I think is supposed to be the kind of ultimate successor to Tyler Adams. He's, right. you know, he's a pit bull. He get, you know, gets all sorts of energy in the midfield. But he's also, you know, seeing a bunch of his Red Bulls 2 games, really good at setting the tempo and attack. So he gets on the ball a lot. You know, if he wants the team to go fast, the team goes fast. If he wants to connect passes, the team's, team connects passes. And, and he's just the guy, you know, to play. Because, you know, despite what the team was able to accomplish last year, like, none of these guys should be able to rest on their laurels. And it's certainly, you know, whether it's Christian Caceres Jr. in midfield, whether it's Omar Omir Fernandez, who's a new homegrown player out on the wings, whether it's Matthias Jorgensen, who, you know, is a sev- seven-figure signing to back up Bradley Wright Phillips. Like, all those guys, frankly deserve chances in the starting 11 if the guys who have been there are not performing and right now they're not performing. And frankly, to me, that's as much on the coach as it is on the guys because you'll listen to an Arma, like an Armist press conference and it'll say no concern and it'll say we'll need to slow the, slow the game down and possess more and then you'll hear the captain Luis Robles talk after the game and it'll be like, we weren't pressuring enough, we weren't winning 50-50 balls and it's like there's a clear disconnect in the locker room between you know the top players and the coach even if the like relationship there is still pretty good i know lots of players when armus was an assistant loved having armus as a coach but it's pretty clear that what armus is preaching is not getting through and until that corrects itself i'm not sure the form is going to correct itself
0: well it's it's funny cuz they've never been a team that slows it down and possesses really it's been a very direct team team that goes and wins the ball high up the field and it seems like now they're kind of doing each half and half they're like half trying to play possession style i mean they did have 64 percent possession against chicago but chicago's a team that'll let you do that they you know they sometimes they want to hit on the break um uh, it, it seems like teams aren't letting the red bulls hit on the break i don't know if the red bulls aren't trying to but pressing high and winning it back it's it's certainly not working yeah i mean uh, it's like half, they're like half like, oh yeah, we'll possess and we'll play high up the field and try to keep it. And then if we lose it, we'll win it back. But they're like, yeah, but we'll also like, we don't want to get caught out back. So we'll kind of just only let two guys go and then the rest of us will kind of sit in the middle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess on some level teams are more willing to just also see the ball against the Red Bulls and play over the back. But like, from my perspective, it's kind of nonsense because this is year five of the kind of like high pressing energy drink, energy drink Red Bull system. And teams like didn't just think that oh we can just play over the top right this is something that teams have clearly known about but the pressure was so ferocious in past years that it was just always so difficult for teams to play out of their own end and on the other hand like this Red Bulls defense is the best Red Bulls defense in this 5 year span right like Aaron Long is going to i think is going to start in the gold cup like Tim Parker was in national team camps this past year Kamar Lawrence might be the best left back in the league and it's like certainly one of the fastest defenders in the league and Michael Morio was you know, playing in World Cup games. So the idea that you that the Red Bulls can't high press because they're worried about getting beaten behind when this is what their defense is, is it's nonsense. It's just utter nonsense. I don't know like other than becoming a ranting, annoying fan on here, like I don't know how else to describe it other than there's no reason to lose your identity over something that you can easily counteract.
0: And listen, Long and Parker aren't exactly two slow guys either. They got some some good top speeds on them. Absolutely, uh, I do. I do want to point out the Red Bulls have conceded four goals in the East. That's the same as Columbus. Only uh, DC, who have won, and Toronto, who have conceded three, are doing better. I mean, in fact, the Red Bulls are five goals scored, four conceded. Right? You, it's not all that great. But Columbus is in second with six goals for and four against. I mean, they beat Atlanta. If they beat Atlanta by one goal, if they don't get that late goal uh, in like what are the 84th minute in that game? Right. You guys have the same goal difference, but a pretty massive gap in you maybe you consider performances and results.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's right. And and to be fair to the, the Red Bulls defense, like, you know, the Columbus goal they gave up was an own goal off Mario's face and the the goal they gave up of Chicago was an own goal. So the defending is clearly there, even if, you know, they had some injury issues with Kamar Lawrence. Yeah, it's he's still there. He's vitally important. But uh, going forward it's just been an absolute like, disaster, and, and you know, the reason they have four goals is because they were playing Matias Almeida's ghastly uh, man-marking system, and it's like, every team's going to put in four taps a game against that, but the Red Bulls haven't been able to break down, in any shape or form, uh, an organized defense, and and that comes down, I think, you know, somewhat to Armistice's system, but also look like you're going to have to start to rotate Bradley Wright Phillips, he just doesn't have the legs to play game in and game out even though you know look ultimately even as you slow down he still only needs a step or two to to put balls away and you need to get service to him and we're not getting service to him and you know we'll see it's a long season the Red Bulls have had bad starts before but I'm less optimistic than I was this time last year when the team was torching Tijuana and and the like so Yeah.
0: yeah I mean, I do think they'll turn it around. Uh, my prediction at the beginning of the season was maybe another supporter shield. Maybe it's it's not out of reach, is all I'm going to say. Two losses, not out of reach. Uh, moving on, tough game for Montreal. Sporting Kansas City dropped seven goals on them. It wasn't even that Montreal was so terrible, like just abysmal through play. They just kept giving the ball away in defense. Uh, it was a really sloppy game. They didn't have their main man, Piotti. Uh, and... For sporting, there's a big game for them before they head into Thursday night. That's tonight. Uh, lineup line just dropped, actually. The lineup just dropped. You're probably not listening. It'll probably be over by the time you listen to it, but the clash with Monterey uh, while Montreal have a tough game in Yankee Stadium. Uh, I mean, other than just on the surface, does this game mean all that much moving forward for both teams, do you think? Or is it just a one off?
1: I mean, I think for sporting it's just a clear sign that they are more or less the class of the league at this point and there's a reason that they're the the one MLS team left in CCL. I think this is as complete as a team that Peter Vermes has ever had. You know they're getting goals out of Christian Nemeth, they're getting goals out wide, they're staunch in the back, they can you know this team can pass if they want, they can press if they want, they can play all over the field and that's what happens you know they can they can drop goals on a team like Montreal I'm not as uh, concerned about Montreal sometimes teams just play really badly and Montreal played really badly yeah. um, but I think they've done a decent job of, of having an identity of they're gonna sit and make it difficult for you and, and allow Piotti to go and do Piotti things when they get on the break and frankly it worked pretty Darn well for them, especially in the second half of the year last year. And I think as long as they continue to keep to the identity of, hey, we're not going to be the best team with the ball, but we're going to make things absolutely tough and miserable for you. They're going to have a lot of success in the league because not every team is going to be able to break you down in the way that Sporting breaks teams down. But you know, Sporting, yeah, Sporting are going to crush a lot of teams this year.
0: Um. Yeah, well, I mean we'll see I think Montreal has this, is more susceptible than this than other teams uh, beginning of last year they were just awful awful conceding goals uh, they were like 2-0-11 at one point with 11 losses uh, so it's a better start for them I think earlier on they had a couple games maybe they thought they could have they dropped points they should have had uh, they now have 11 goals against which is the worst in the East but remember 7 of that was in one yeah. game so before that they had just had 4 so it's like not even like all things are all that bad uh, worse, Colorado, RSL, Portland, both with 11, and San Jose, of course, you guessed it, worse with 14. Uh, my only worry about sporting is last year they started off very, very strong, probably equally, uh, and then around the in the halfway part, they kind of had a lull. They actually dropped out of first, and Dallas moved up. Uh, they picked it up at the end of the season, so... Time will tell if that happens again, but I do agree this is the most complete team that they've ever had and probably the most complete team in MLS. Uh, on to San Jose, as we mentioned. Gave up five to LAFC. Vela once again on fire with a hat trick, this one on the road. Uh, I don't think this is as much of LAFC being really good as San Jose being absolutely horrible.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, that's right. Um, it's tough to take... You know anything away from games where teams are playing san jose because for san jose this is what it's going to look like for a long time until they either figure out what almeida wants to do because i don't think Almeida is going to change what he wants to do and i don't think he really feels the pressure to do so or you know they'll before they end up with different players right it's going to be bad they're going to get they're going to lose by multiple goals a lot of times this year and that's what happens when you try to play a man marking system on a, you know, whatever it is, like 80 by 120 field. Like, especially when you're playing against Carlos Vela. like, these teams are going to find ways to get tappins in the six yard box. And that's what happened against Red Bulls. That's what's going to continue to happen, you know, happen against LAFC and what's going to continue to happen against San Jose for, for a long, long part of the season. It's going to be rough.
0: Yeah, it's just so easy for teams, especially teams like LAFC with pace up front to get behind. I remember at Wesleyan one time we did a man-v-man drill, and it was just—the entire game was just 1v1s against me as a goalie, another goalie on the other side. It was like, oh, they lost their mark, nobody can pick them up because it's a specific man-to-man marking thing, and now you're in on goal. Uh, And that seems like it's all that's been going on is whenever anyone in place San Jose. Uh, My, my, they've been bad. Uh, Their 14 conceded is actually just one less than the 15 goals that LAFC have scored, which is first in the league by a long shot. Next highest is 11. Kansas City, who also put in seven in their last game, so grain of salt. Uh, LAFC visit fellow first-place team DC United this weekend, while San Jose hosts the struggling Timbers. Uh, Any thoughts on those matchups before we move on?
1: I I mean, you got to... You got to be looking forward to the big game against DC on, I believe it's on Big Fox this weekend. I mean, two.
0: Bart Simpson Fox, as we like to call it.
1: (laughs) Two teams who are, you know, carrying good form over, frankly, from last season, who are both, they've added pieces here or there, but are also bringing back, you know, pretty complete teams from last year. I think that's part of why both LAFC and DC United have jumped out. to first place in their respective conferences you know it's going to be both teams can defend both teams can attack Carlos L might be the best player in the league but you know when you have a combination like Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta you know magic can happen so it's one to look forward to for sure.
0: Should be a thriller uh, both teams did have pretty disappointing upset losses in the first round of the playoffs so uh, now both in first seems like a different story this year uh, another different story from last year is Atlanta continues with their championship hangover with a 2 0 loss in Columbus. It's a really strange match. It absolutely monsooned in Ohio that day. I'll get to the other game later. Uh, and the pitch just couldn't handle it. There yep. are puddles everywhere. And the ball is just stopping its track. And it's tracks. Personally, for me, it's hard to criticize any team for losing, uh, losing their plan or the game in that kind of condition.
1: But let's do it anyway.
0: Yeah, Atlanta now two road losses, two home draws. Uh, DC was the only really strong team that they've played, and they lost to them. And DeBoer, who hasn't won a league game now between three different teams over, what, like four years, uh, is now starting to feel the heat.
1: Here's the thing. If you've ever, ever interacted with an Atlanta United fan anywhere on the internet, It brings me so much joy to see them struggle. Like, endless, endless joy to see them miserable. Because, obviously, the Red Bulls are not doing much better. So, there's not a whole lot of trash talk to be had. But it, again, just really makes me happy. Because, who boy, are they probably the worst MLS fans on the internet.
0: Most fans, at least, have had some... Have experienced some sort of form of poor play, poor form... Being a loser in some form.
1: Yeah, totally. And this is this is Atlanta Fan's first, uh, you know, first time with it, and I'm not sure they're handling it super duper well. In fairness, being really angry at the Boris, totally legit because the man is a disaster as a coach. And has clearly been a disaster as a coach the last few places he's gone to. And as much as, sure, it's one, like, Miguel Miron is out the door. You have to replace him, although you replace him with, like, the South American player of the year. Like, Pete Martinez is no slouch, right? But, you know, you go from... you
0: consider considering uh, probably better play, yeah, all things you go, considered.
1: You go from, you know, a, a team with lots of South American and Latino influence with a, you know, highly influential coach... Uh, in Tata Martino and Frank De Boer comes in, and and maybe that's some of it. But it's like, look, as much as I like take joy in how bad Atlanta has have played, and granted they have they have played pretty bad. That they've looked surprisingly inept going forward, and, and really shambolic at the back. It's like this team has like way too much talent to be this bad. Like you have to actively try to put out teams that just like suck over and over again. This team, like. Joseph Martinez, P Martinez, Ezekiel Barco would be like the best three like the best attack on almost any other team in the league. Yet they can't find a way to score goals.
0: I mean that would be a, that would be the starting front three for Huddersfield Town, the Premier League, and possibly even probably Fulham too.
1: It's just stunning, stunning stuff. And and just really embarrassing from Debore. Um and I think in large part it's his dogmatic insistence on playing, frankly, like, soul-sucking possession soccer. It's just, it, first of all, it's boring, right? As much as I hate-watched Atlanta, like, they were fun to to watch last year because they got up and down, they had tons of talent, and they, they made plays. And this team, it's just like, you know, lots of knocking it around. You're asking a ton from Darlington-Magby and oh my god why am i forgetting his name eric remedi right and it's just
0: they they play it left wing back at times right and
1: it's just none of those guys can be your engine in that way and it's just you know you see joseph martinez getting angrier and angrier and angrier and pete martinez not integrating into a new team and it's like look this team has too much talent to end up being bad but We've seen teams with a lot of talent end up being bad, and the, and the longer a slide like this goes on, the more difficult it's going to be to put the pieces back together.
0: Well, De Boer won something like four of six titles in for with Ajax. So he had some success there. He went to Inter Milan, did nothing, gone before three months were up. Went to Palace, gone before six weeks were up. Now, granted, those are probably not the teams to instill that philosophy, but he kind of was saying... We ha- you know, we didn't have the time to instill this philosophy. I'm just wondering if Atlanta's going to give them that time because, I mean, they have a bye week um, this week, but they've scored just two goals this year. Yeah. The same as San Jose. It's
1: been bad. It's been real bad. <laughs> uh,
0: that's not good. And honestly, I almost feel embarrassed for the teams that they've been scored against, the Union and Cincinnati, who, granted, came into those games just thinking, we're just going to sit back and counter. Yep. Uh, and they came out with draws on you know, which isn't a bad result when you think about it. But now that you're really looking back, you say, man, maybe you could get again wins against Atlanta in those situations.
1: For sure. I mean, I think Philly in particular could have won that game. Absolutely, probably. Uh,
0: Cincy, they kind of you know they got that late goal to bring it back. Right. Atlanta kind of dominated, but I mean, if Philly will be kicking themselves for giving up that goal, a header from Barco. I mean, I could talk about that for a while, but. Yeah. Uh just to I, I mean just a sorry yeah. you can finish. Oh, I was just going to say who do you think goes first, Torrent or DeBoer? Who's the first coach to be gone this year? It could have to be one of those two. It could be anyone.
1: First coach to be gone this year. I got to think around the league at who's been real bad. I could see it being like if Chicago, I mean if uh Colorado continues to stink, I could see it being Anthony Hudson. Um but I I mean is just right up there. I mean Clearly, Arthur Blank has no reason to be cautious and why continue to go and, and sink on the ship while, when you can just kind of ax DeBoer and there'll be plenty of coaches who want to take on such a high, high profile profile role so De Boer, it could easily be him. Um, I, I think, God, they've got to turn it around some point, but I think that's probably who I would pick if I had to guess.
0: Yeah, I mean at least with Colorado with Hudson, I mean they've had him for longer, but at least they could say, Yeah, but we don't have the resources, we don't have the players, we're not as good. Atlanta's like, man, you've gotta start winning. Or yeah. Or you're gone. No. Because I mean. this is
1: And they have man, every it's right this is expected. to expected. Yeah. I just wanna say one thing about Columbus, which is like man, that team granted a lot of it is what Greg, Berhal- Greg Berhalter was able to install over a number of years, but like they just keep trucking, right? Like they play pretty yeah. similar style they defend super well they can get out get uh Gsse's artist ins and it's just there's nothing fancy about them they don't have that much tap-in talent but they go out every week they play a close game they get three points right and it's just you gotta you gotta tip your cap to even with everything that was going on behind the scenes with them that they continue to be you know just so well drilled week in and week out
0: Yeah, one of the hardest teams to beat, I think, in the league. Uh, Especially if one that's not one of the best teams. Um, But yeah, for sure, Columbus deserves plenty of credit for that regard. And so does Caleb Porter, because he just comes in and says, right, we're going to keep doing what you've been doing. Do what works. Uh, I I can't stand coaches like DeBoer who come in and say, no, 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 no. You guys won the championship last year? You were doing it all wrong. (laughs) This is how we're doing it. What are you guys thinking? Yep. Uh, So, moving on. To Southern Ohio with the Union, in another downpour, beat FC Cincinnati. Uh, while there are no puddles in this one, it was also pretty sloppy. The players had trouble controlling the ball. Uh, I would think that Cincinnati could have used the rain to their advantage here, given their counterattacking style, uh, willing to push counterattacks. But the Union were pretty adept at dropping off, sweeping out any uh, any counterballs, any long balls, um, and actually controlled the, go- the game pretty easily.
1: Yeah, I. I'll admit I didn't catch too much of this game, so I'm willing to to clear out a little bit for
0: you. Oh, oh, you can't you can't admit that. Um, <laughs> no, so I'm just I'm
1: curious. One, your thoughts on one, your thoughts on Brendan Aronson, which I think is the talk of talk of Philly around the league at the moment. And, and two, just kind of what you think is the ceiling for this team uh, going forward. Obviously, they dropped that early game to Toronto. But you know they've played well against Atlanta. They obviously went to really a, a tough place to play in Cincinnati and, and got a win there. And I'm curious whether you see there see this team as a team that's going to fall back or if you really think they have the pieces to challenge towards the top end of the Eastern Conference this year?
0: I, I don't think it's a top end team. Uh, it's looking more complete than it ever has. Uh, so David Akam now three goals in two games, looking like he's overcome that uh, groin injury he had last year. He said he's feeling better, um, so he's been impressive. Now they have some pretty good forward depth. So they have Pico, they have Akam, they have Corey Burke, who you know he scored 11 goals last year, and everyone goes crazy about Raúl Ruiz Diaz. They scored in the same number of minutes, and you would probably say Raúl Ruiz Diaz did it on a better team. Yep. Uh, and they signed Sergio Santos, who's impressed, uh, impressed the coaching staff. Uh, they brought in Marco Fabian, uh, who returned in this game from suspension and scored the first goal. Um, so just like kind of moving down, this is a pretty complete team, which makes it tough for Aronson because they he doesn't he might find it tough to get time moving forward because they signed Jamiro Montero, who from what I've seen from training and what I've heard from the coaches is an absolute beast, uh, and he's gonna be someone that they're gonna try to be getting in pretty quickly. The problem is Aronson is another guy they want to keep in. I mean he was. If he, if he saw any of his highlights, uh, I know someone posted them. It, he's he's pretty adept on the ball. He's pretty tough to, to to know where he's going. He uses his little body feints very well. He's got a good touch. Uh, he can turn under pressure. I think he's got the tools to be a really talented guy for this team moving forward. But I, I'm not sure I see him uh, being a consistent starter week in, week out. I kind of hope he is. Yeah. And I think if he develops more, he certainly should be. Yeah. Um, you know, Curtin could really, you know, and change the lineup up. Really get creative with it to get him in, get Fabian in, to get Akam in, um, to get Bedoya. I mean, uh, I so I don't think they're a top table team. Um, you know, top three, whatever. Uh, I I think I think I had them finishing fifth uh, by the end of this year. Sounds I think right. that's pretty. I think it's pretty fair given the talent in this league. I mean, you just you just go through the standings right now. Uh, the top are DC. I don't. I. I think that DC probably has the edge. Uh, Columbus. I think the Union will end up above them. Toronto. Again, always Philly's bogey team. I think they're better than Philly. Uh, Red Bulls, NYCFC, Atlanta. Teams that they usually don't do very well against. I'll. Well, I'll expect them to be ahead of them. So. I. Uh, it's it's promising, but things things always go back to the media. Uh, you know, regress to the mean in some way. Um, that's my take on it. This was impressive to go on the road, but I think if it was a clear day and the stadium was full, uh, it would have been a tougher match. Uh, the Union now hosts FC Dallas this weekend, uh, which I I think is their is a real test. I mean, every game, you know, there's it's no easy games really in MLS because of the parity in the league. But given you know they had the, st- the tough start, they've kind of found the uptick in form. This is a kind of a game that'll ask them, was that just a blip on the radar, or was it, you know, is this, is this something they're really building to? Uh, Cincinnati hosts Sporting Kansas City on Sunday, after, of course, they play in the CONCACAF Champions League. Moving on, uh, Houston is qu- continuing to quietly roll. They won 4-1 in Colorado. It was two own goals from Axel Seelberg and Keegan Rosenberry. It helped them along the way. Uh, but Albert Ellis and Memo Rodriguez continue to bag goals uh, for Houston, who is now uh, in third place in the West.
1: Yeah, I mean, a- another impressive win for them. Uh, and another team that you just don't expect too much, too much of, you know. But in some ways, like Columbus, granted Houston has been a bit more up and down, but on any given day that team comes out and they can blitz you, right? Uh, Albert Elise is a guy who who is not long for this league, and guys like Memo Rodriguez come along, and I think he's an academy product, right? If I'm not mistaken, I can never... I think he is, right? And then they've got... We'll
0: check with our producer on that.
1: And then, you know, they've got Memo Rodriguez, they've got Mario Minotas, and, and you know, Wilmer Cabrera has his team. They had Wilmer Cabrera's had them playing competitive against Tigres for... Relatively long stretches of time, and and with that in mind, it's no surprise that they're coming back home to MLS and and kind of run riot over teams like Colorado. Whether or not it'll hold up over the course of the season, it seems to rarely do so for Houston. But but just like last year, where I think they had an early start, you know, they give teams they give teams a handful as much as anybody in the league. So. You know, impressive from them. Another kind of rough outing for Colorado, who, despite again having some potential promise going into the year, it's you know their ceiling never seems to be high enough, and their floor is always low enough that that it seems like it's tough times uh, out in the Rockies.
0: Yeah, certainly a rocky uh, start for Colorado. Memo Mm -hmm. I've been told by the producer is a homegrown. Uh, Yeah. But uh, So that's three wins and four for Houston. But now let's just, if you look at their opponents right now, they've they got a 1-1 draw with RSL at home. They beat Montreal 2-1 at home with a fairly late goal from Marabonotas in the 86th minute. Uh, and then they beat Vancouver barely 3-2 thanks to a penalty call. And now Colorado 4-1. So this isn't exactly the hardest of opponents. Uh, but it is 10 goals for us, tied for third most in the league. So I'm skeptical, I don't think, and if we're going, like, is Houston the real deal type thing, I would say no.
1: Yeah, although, you know, I think Juan David Cabeza's, you know, an important number six for them who was hurt for much of last year, but I think healthy for for their Open Cup final win. Um, he's hurt at the moment. Obviously, the the never-aging Demarcus Beasley is a little, little banged up at the moment. So, you know, I think they've got pieces to get back. Um you know, I, I don't think they're a top of the West kind of team, but but certainly a team that should be fighting for playoff contention, no question about it, in my mind.
0: Yeah, with expanded to seven teams. I mean, the West didn't add anyone this year. Uh, so you would say, you know, they would be would have been what, one or two places out last year, despite kind of falling off at the end. I mean, they add they have De La Garza, they didn't really have a right back last year. They have Lundqvist as depth uh, left back. They added Maynard Figueroa. Uh, they got uh, Alias Struna, at center back, they added. So they have added some good depth. Added Matias Vera. Not even depth, but these are starting quality players. Uh, added Matias Vera in the midfield to help kind of when Cabasis is out. And, of course, we know that top front four is one of the most deadly in the league. So, like, there's reasons to think it's coming together, but until Houston starts putting in the performances against top teams, I won't really be sold. Um, I just don't see that. Like You mentioned them kind of with Colorado. I don't see them as hard-nosed as willing to grind out results uh, as Columbus. Um, yeah. They have. They did it against the Union in the Open Cup Final. That was that was a grinded out result. That was like a, a Columbus result almost. Um, I see them kind of like a, a flash in the pan type team. They burn hot real fast and then they kind of peter out. Uh, speaking of fast, a quick red card to Dimir Krylak in the 17th minute. Uh, helped LC Dallas roll on to a 4-2 victory in Salt Lake City. Uh, Dallas were already in control thanks to first-minute Carlos Grueso goal. Uh, then two Academy products, Paxton Pomical and Jesus Ferreira, rounded out the last three goals for Dallas.
1: Yeah, I mean, to talk about FC Dallas for a second, I, I was another team that I thought, and I think a lot of people thought would take a step back this year, you know, it was clear that lucha gonzalez would play a lot of academy kids they had gotten rid of a bunch of bunch of vet guys but but you know to this point they've played really great soccer great possession soccer and they've they've broken down team after team so far this year and and i think it should be another clear lesson to teams around the league that you should play your damn kids because these guys who are coming up like paxton pomacol they can ball right and they can ball as much as guys who have mm-hmm. been in the league for years. And frankly, it's fun to see young Americans and, and increasingly young American attacking players, whether it's it's Pomacol or, or Brendan Aronson, who we'll, we'll see go face-to-face this weekend. You know, it's fun to watch them play. And, and Dallas have all the makings of a team that couldn't compete well into the year, and, and it'll fun, be fun to see them do that. On the flip side, obviously, with SKC you know they're always RSL in... yeah sorry RSL no, is right. correct
0: it's tough with the acronyms yeah you know um, I'm
1: looking it can I'm be. looking at the rundown I'm seeing Salt Lake City and so that's like I see a, I see an S-A-K and a C and, and kind of it's all in there exactly it's all the same exactly. city. You just... it's the Midwest yeah. mountain regions exactly. the middle America there's a, there's a reason it's flyover country right um, yeah of course no but you I... you look at Salt Lake City and and up and down again for Mike Pecky's team and I I don't have too much to say about them other than they seem to struggle for large stretches every season and then be decent for large stretches and then sneak into the playoffs like often so I don't have too much to say about them other than it also seems like they get red cards every other game but
0: yeah they had two in the de- in the uh, DC United game I think was might have been a match just before this one
1: yeah I don't know I um, what what you saw yeah. from. Saw from this match.
0: I, uh, I, I'm I'm with you. the The big thing here is seeing the kids, uh, even someone who isn't you know an American born, like you know Christian Caceres of the Red Bulls. I think it's fun to see those guys get, get opportunities, uh, because it's 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 new. It's something new. It's someone you haven't seen before. Even if it's seeing new players is always fun, especially seeing a kid step up to the occasion is. In my mind pretty often a fun a fun story. So Pax and Pomical, if you're a US national team, it gives you a neutral to root for. Brendan Aronson, same thing. So that's always good to see. And Dallas, like you mentioned, they're always they always seem to figure it out. Uh, in terms of what they lost, I'm I'm going through like they lost like Maxi Aruti, um, and Victor Uloa are the big ones I can remember right now. Uh, and you know, they they already had Dominic Badge yet forward who so I've never been a huge fan of. He's never scored 10 goals in a yeah. season. Granted, most of them are at Colorado. But still, I think you, you should be able to get double digits if you're a starting striker in this league. Uh, he's kind of been, you know, forced out by Jesus Ferreira. Um, and Victor Hugo is replaced by guys like Car- Carlos Grueso uh, and Brian Acosta uh, and Paxton Pomacle which as a midfield three, I've been very, very impressed with. And of course, Dallas still has this defense. I mean, you and I were talking about you know, a while back about uh, left backs in this league. Of course, we both agreed Kamara Lawrence was probably the best, but Ryan Hollingshead is another guy who doesn't really get a lot of recognition. He's a pretty solid left back, all things considered. Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't a. Uh, you look at a Dallas team, the real weaknesses, like, you know, Santiago Mascara, Michael Barrio, super streaky, not a lot of product in them. Um, you're just wondering if Dallas has a guy like Jassy Zardes who will get you 19 tap ins throughout the year. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's the case, and I do think it'll come back to hurt them at some point and they'll falter, whereas Salt Lake City does have, I mean, I think it was last year they had five guys who produced at least ten combined goals and assists, ten goal involvements. Saverino, Corey Baird, Krylak, Rusnak. Um, I said Saverino. I'm, I'm yeah. missing one. Yeah. Um,
1: I Uh, I can't. And Zhao Plata.
0: Plata. So that's five guys in four attacking positions. So they were being rotated who had at least 10 uh, goal involvements. So I think they will bounce back, like you mentioned. Uh, A team that was unable to bounce back, Orlando, fought back late but couldn't overcome Wayne Rooney as DC United won 2 1 in Orlando. That was a pretty fun match. Yeah. I must say. For sure. Rooney's free kick to Steve Birnbaum set up the first early on, and then an almost Olimpico uh, from the near corner flag uh, was the second, 30 minutes in, and Orlando just couldn't bring back a second.
1: Yeah, I mean, to start here, I talked about Atlanta fans, but coming in a very close 1B is Orlando fans, and few things right. made me happier than watching Orlando fans get the laws of the game wrong over and over again about the tackle that led to Wayne Rooney's free kick goal. Um, so, again, that made me really happy to see them angry about something of which they were clearly totally wrong because that was a foul 10 times out of 10 from every referee that knows what he's talking about. Um,
0: right, and you know what? This is I do want to point out, this is something that I remember you pointing out many, many times in college – that it doesn't have to be contact for it to be a foul right so you see look at a dive okay the guy just kind of falls to the ground because he thinks there's going to be contact but a situation like this like what is Rooney going to do take a stud to the knee
1: why why should the defense be rewarded for doing something that would that would affect right and so like let's say it was not quite wires tackle which was like basically a slide tackle straight at Rooney's knee with his studs, which had it connected would have probably been, you know, I think potentially legitimately red card worthy. But let's just say right, it was right. like you're a guy who's running down the field with the ball and a guy comes across you for a slide tackle. And it's like you can either, and you're running, the ball goes past the tackle and you can either, you know, and you have to jump out of the way basically or jump over the guy in order to potentially keep your run. But because you had to jump over the guy, you've now lost the chance to continue dribbling the ball or you've just had to fall over because there was no way to jump and continue running. It's like, why should the defense be rewarded for effectively for not winning the ball? Right? Like there was, this wasn't a clean tackle on the ball. All they did was move the, the made it impossible for the attacker to continue to play the ball without getting out of the way of what would have been a foul. And so, like, people, you know... And anyway, the Law 12, when it says fouls and misconduct, there's, you know, things like striking and, and pushing, and then there's attempting to kick and attempting to trip and obviously striking and attempting to strike. And it's like, that's in the rules for mostly that reason. And yep, it's as it's much... clear as, as day in the rules. Yeah, and as much as the laws of the game are kind of like... Can be a bit obtuse for people. It's like real important to think about the rules just in terms of like kind of like common sense, right? Like, are in a certain situation, and this is, I think, in part of why they changed around the like denial of an obvious goal scoring rule rules is like, does it make sense? Are we, are the laws of the game penalizing something we'd want penalized, right? It's like the same thing as like, if you like spit on someone or something like there's a reason it's an automatic red card because if it was a yellow card then what you're saying is like you can, you can get away with
0: doing it once
1: not only can one player get away with doing it once without getting sent off every player on the field can can get away with doing it once without getting sent off right and so and so there's a reason that some of those those kinds of plays are red cards because even if they're not super violent or super whatever it's like we just can't have this happen 22 times or or whatever it would for all the guys on the field, right? And so it's important to think about the laws of the game, sure, as like an arcane set of rules, but also as a set of rules that are kind of designed to reward things that we want to see in soccer, which is like the guy to continue to dribble the ball and the defender, if he's going to tackle him, to tackle the ball away, right? And not some sort of thing where he tackles air in a way that makes it impossible for an attacker to play the ball going forward. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm with you on that. Uh, you did like, um, I think on Twitter, you posted a, a picture of it and got a lot of likes. So I was happy for you on that one. Uh, I was also happy content. when, Oh, it's good stuff. Great content. I was happy when, when Alexi Lalas said it was a foul uh, and everyone went into their classic like, Oh, Alexi Lalas is so stupid thing. And, you know, you and other people are like, no, r- read a book. It's in the rule book.
1: Alexi Lalas can be stupid without him being wrong about this particular rule.
0: You could say they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> I am personally not a huge hater of Alexi Lalas. I-, I kind of enjoy what he brings to American soccer. Yeah, um, yeah, so I, I, and when it comes to the rules, I think you're right. They they do what they do, and I think they do it fairly well for the most part. The handball rule at this point is the one kind of ambiguous, incredibly difficult uh, to adjudicate. It's just no. Part, no yeah, question. that's just um, that's brought up a lot of discussions, especially how it's ruled in VAR. Uh, with that coming around, so I wouldn't be too surprised to see. I mean, Alex. Let's be honest. Alexi's take on if it hits your arm at all. It's a, it's, a, it's a handball no matter what? That's
1: basically... Well, so I have to read what the... I think changes. that's silly. The, 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 there are law changes coming that will significantly alter the handball rules again. And I have to remember exactly what those are. But um, I remember reading them and realizing that they will uh, once again significantly alter the handball rules. So that will be something that everyone can freak out about for the next five years as people slowly internalize what the new rules are.
0: Yeah, and you'll get people on the internet saying, "Oh, that's not a handball." And then someone saying, "Well, look at the new rules, guy." <laughs> uh, I mean, I think soccer's almost ahead of, a time, ahead of its time with some of these rules. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where basketball it was a, was a flagrant for stopping uh, a breakaway.
1: They they added they've added some stuff in the NBA in, in recent years that I think this past year that was like effectively they always had clear path fouls, but now they've added cuz like what what guys would do is before They would throw it to the guy all alone on the other end. They would foul the guy, and because that wasn't a clear path, it was a regular foul. But they've now gotten wise to that in the NBA, and they've basically had like a stopping – they basically have a stopping a promising attack foul in in basketball. So they they are getting wise to that stuff a little bit.
0: We're not going to get too much into basketball, (laughs) but I think some of its rules are kind of archaic. Uh, The other argument on that play, going all the way back to Rooney's free kick, was that uh, Frederic Briant potentially impeded Brian Rowe uh, as a member of the Goalkeepers Union. Um, I think this one's tough. Uh, I don't know what your opinion on it as a field player is there, uh, Brian, but I think he gets in his way. Like He does jump into Rowe, but I don't think Rowe's getting to the ball. Right. I think Rowe kind of...
1: No, I, I think that's right, and I think that's the clear... If I was
0: a goalie, I would have wanted it called. No, f- I would have for been sure. very, very mad if it wasn't.
1: 100%. But I think that's the, you know, when you think about what the purpose of VAR is there, is like, is that a clear and obvious error? And there's clearly enough, like, is Brian Rowe, particularly Brian Rowe, ever getting to that ball if he's not bumped into? And I'm less certain, and I think, as you are, just less certain that he gets that if Briant doesn't bump into him,
0: so... And it's not like he's hacked down. Right. It's not like someone jumps on top of him and is like, you're not even going to try for this. Yeah, so
1: I'm, I'm okay with letting that stand, given what was called on the field was that that goal stood. I think same thing the other way. If that was a foul, it's hard to to look back at it and say, we've got to reverse this and make it a good goal. And, and to me, that's like, you know, if you're going to do VAR, that should kind of be the standard.
0: I... I have some choice words for that that I'm not going to get too into. I think that the clear and obvious is not as clear and obvious as it seems. Uh, I, I think that if it's like... If if you were to look... It, the way it should be adjudicated is if you look at it the second time, if it changes your opinion on it, it should be allowed to change your opinion. If you're like, ooh, I didn't really think about that at the time, um, you, it shouldn't have to be clear and obvious that's a foul. I think you should be able to make a brand new decision... And say it's like, okay, it was a 50-50 when I saw it, and I get, went this way, and like, ooh, now I think it's like a 75-25. And then you go the other way. I think that should be okay. I don't think it should have to be uh, – no, it has to be a
1: 100-0. Yeah, although then you're kind of – you know, I think you're even further getting away from human refereeing, or like what you want is you make a call in the field, and we want – by and large, the call on the field to be the call that's made because there are tons of decisions on the field all over the place where, frankly, you know, you're a referee and sometimes the, like, ball goes off a guy and you have no idea what who it went off of. And, like, as a referee, what you're going to do is you're going to pick a direction in your mind and you're going to, as forcefully as possible, like, put your hand out and and say that's the direction, right? Just because you kind of have to sell it. And there's tons of... Huh, that looked like this, but maybe but maybe that plays and with replay, you probably get a bit of that. I'd rather have a human element of refereeing for most plays, but in situations yeah, where there's clear most. and obvious errors, like let's get it right. But there's tons of judgment calls that are have have shades of truth either way, and I think it would be tough to make kind of that muddy standard the standard.
0: It's it's and it's what it should be. It's goals and red cards. I don't think we should get any further. We shouldn't say, ooh, but was that a foul? Oh, he missed that foul. Um, which sometimes happens when you, have to, when you do have to call back a goal because there's a foul in the buildup. Um, you know, what you said with goes out of bounds, you do have assistants who can kind of give you a little bit of a, a nudge in a certain direction. Uh, but, yeah, there, sh- there should be some human aspect to it, but you also don't, you know, it stinks when you get cheated. Um, not cheated. That's not the right word. I apologize. Uh, you feel like you get cheated out of a game because of a call. Um, You know, it's it's annoying because one play shouldn't really make that big a difference, but it often does. Anyway, uh, Orlando did fight back, but in the end it wasn't enough. Uh, They did hit the post late on. Chris Muller looked pretty good, Uh, and that's all I have for this so this match, Bryce. I don't know if you have anything else. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think Orlando. If you're a fan, there are positives to take away. Just the, you know, they look continue to look more organized uh, in the back, which is good news for them. And and they've obviously got some pieces going forward. I don't know if they'll be quite the the cream of the crop, but I think you should continue to let uh, O'Connor. You know put his mark on the team, and and obviously for DC, they continue to... This was not their greatest game of all time, but, you know, good teams go into environments like this, and they get three points, and that's what DC continues to do, and and until further notice, they're, they're the class of the league, so that's, that's all I got there, but...
0: Yeah. I mean, they will be hosting the other class of the league, LAFC, while Orlando hosts Colorado kind of to a basement bowl game, and a uh, top-of-the-league game. But uh, that wraps it up for the uh, for the MLS this week, and that wraps it up for the American Soccer Show this week. Uh, that's all the time we have. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave us a review. Give us some stars. Let us know what you think. Until next time, I'm Emmett McConnell alongside my guest, Brian Rice. Thank you so much for having us. Oh yep. We yeah, any last words? Any last words?
1: Any last words? I appreciate you having me on. You know, so we can we can chit chat and soccer days like we like we used to back in the back in the dorms playing playing oh, lots, in of <laughs> lots of FIFA. the old days. Lots yeah, of FIFA. It,
0: it was a lot of fun. I'm glad you took the time to come on. Uh, enjoyed talking soccer with you, Brian. And to all you listeners out there, if you stuck around for. Uh, an hour and a quarter, good for you. Uh, I, I praise you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> and have a good day.
1: All righty.